This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 8. We'll be in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chiza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into a good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. You've told us who you are. You've told us what you desire from us, how you want us to live, how we are to respond to you. You've shown us the good news of salvation that's found in Christ. And I pray that this morning that our hearts would be good soil, that our hearts would hear the good news and the things that you're teaching us this morning through song, through prayer, through the sermon that we're about to hear, through everything that happens this morning. Lord, as it is centered on and comes from your word, would you help us to see that truth and understand it and believe it and help us to respond to it. Lord, I pray that it would sink down deep into our hearts and that it would affect every area of our lives. Lord, we come here desiring to know you better. We come here desiring to lift up your name because you are so good and so gracious and so worthy of all of our praise. Yet as Matt prayed earlier, we so easily get distracted and we turn our eyes to other things. Lord, I pray that you would draw our eyes back to you this morning. Lord, fill us with the joy that comes from knowing 
who you are and what you've done for your people. Lord, we know that life uh, throws so many distractions and so many discouragements at us, and that is constantly going to be the case as long as we're here. So we need to constantly come before you and ask for your help, and we do that this morning. We ask that you would help us to take all of those weights, all of those burdens, all of those sins that cling so closely to us, and help us to cast them off and to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Lord, help us to live every day of our lives for your glory. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with, with difficult circumstances right now, whether it is with health or facing death themselves or death of loved ones or frustrations with the way that the world is and things seem to be spinning out of control. Lord, remind us of your grace and your faithfulness and help us to continue to press on because we know that you are faithful and you will help us and we're not running this race alone. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling, who are wrestling with doubts and discouragement and fears, I pray that you would surround them with others who right now may be stronger in their faith, who may be encouraged and help us to encourage one another. God, you put us together as the church so that we could build each other up and speak the truth to each other. Don't let any one of us walk through this life or run this race alone. But Lord, help us to love each other well in every area. Help us to pray for each other. Help us to care for each other. Help us to get our eyes off of just ourselves and our own needs. God, we thank you that you have been so very faithful to this church, to this local congregation. For well over a hundred years, you've allowed us to, to serve this, this area, this city and the surrounding area. And you've been so faithful. We've seen so many people come to faith in Christ. We've seen lives changed and people grow. And we thank you for that. And we look forward to that continuing to the next season as we uh, kick off our fall ministries this week. And we know that this doesn't mean that ministry is just now starting, but there is an, a new, fresh sense of being able to get back to things that we maybe haven't been able to do for quite a while. So God, I pray that the ministries would be a blessing to those who take part, whether it's to, to kids and kids' ministries and the youth uh, as there are changes there and the Bible studies that are beginning and the leadership class, our Sunday school classes kicking off again. God, would you grow us and shape us through those times of being able to look uh, intently at your word. And Lord, not only would you grow us, but would you stir us up to love those around us who don't yet know you? Would you draw people in who are far from you so that they can hear the gospel, that they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that they can be saved from their sin by you. Lord, we pray that you would continue to work through First Pres the way that you have for so long, and we pray it confidently, knowing that you're faithful to do what you have promised to do. Lord, we pray for our country, uh, that so much frustration has gone on over these last uh, few years, as we were just reminded yesterday of what happened 20 years ago. Uh, and, and all that's happened in the, the 20 years since. God, we're so uh, divided, so broken. Our sinfulness is so obvious. And it's become so apparent that the only hope is to turn to you. So God, I pray not only that First Pres would be a light in this community, but that your church around this country would be a light. Lord, that we would proclaim the gospel boldly, that we would uh, not be ashamed to speak the name of Jesus into a world that is so dark 
and ever darkening. That we would encourage people through your Holy Spirit with the truth of the gospel. Lord, we ask for revival. We ask that you would revive your church and that you would do miracles in the community around us because of that. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to come and sit under the preaching of your word. I pray that you'd be with Pastor Aaron as he preaches to us this morning. I pray that his words would be those that you've ordained for him to speak, that you would apply your word, your holy word, to our hearts, that we would understand how you are calling us to change, that you would shape us according to your will. Lord, help us to listen intently. Help us to listen with expectation knowing of your faithfulness to work through your word. Lord, we pray that in all that happens here this morning, that your name would be glorified, that you would be lifted up. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Good morning, First Prize. If you have your copy of God's word, um, I would ask you to have it open, as I'll be referring to you the passage quite a bit this morning. Um, it's a great day to be able to meet with you, to celebrate with you, to, to kick off our fall opportunities, and there are many. And so just draw your attention to the fact that um, we have uh, a lot of opportunities to serve and be served. And if you need anything, we mean this from the bottom of our hearts, please let us know. We want to serve you. We want to care for you. We want you to know that you're loved. Our text this morning is a text that many of you may be familiar with, but some of you maybe have never read or heard of. But I want to draw your attention that this chapter, chapter 8, is preceded by seven other chapters. In those seven chapters, we discussed earlier, many, uh, many months ago, the, the fact that Jesus came to save sinners. And it was ultimately the story of Jesus and his life that we have been studying, and we will continue to study, but there's a change in chapter 8. This change is this. Jesus goes from being someone who's obscure to someone who's very popular. You know, um, the truth of the matter is, each and every one of us in this room, we learn things from others. Just recently, I had to work on a washing machine in my house. And to do that, I pulled up YouTube. YouTube's amazing because you can learn anything on YouTube. But I was learning how to fix this washing machine in my home. We learn all the time from other people. We learn from YouTube. We learn from books. We learn from parents. And we learn from friends. And sometimes we even learn from our enemies. But we're constantly learning from others. As a kid growing up, I was surrounded by coaches, football coaches particularly, and let me tell you, one thing I noticed about a good football coach is they're always learning as well. They're learning from others. A good football coach will go out and make sure that he's surrounding himself with other coaches who are pouring into him so that he can be better. As a pastor, I can't help but look around and learn from others. I'm constantly picking up the phone and asking questions and, and seizing as much information as I can. Sometimes I read books from old dead guys. Sometimes I'm looking for living, breathing people to give me some instruction. But I'm a learner. You know, many of you may not know this, but my father-in-law is a doctor. 
And I remember sitting down in his kitchen one day, him and I were having a talk as, as I was in um, the, the throes of, of being called here at First Pres to be the senior pastor. My father-in-law asked me a question. He said, Aaron, how do you prepare future pastors? How do you prepare future pastors? Then he went on to explain that in medicine, they do something called residencies. He says, as a resident, you, you practice what you're learning, but you're surrounded by other doctors who are leading you and instructing you. And so he said, how do you lead pastors? That became the birth of First Press Residency Program, where all of a sudden we decided we were going to pour into those who were going to be planting churches and those who desire to go into the ministry. We recognized the need to pour in and to learn from others. Friends, the truth is, we all need to learn specifically about how to share the good news. Here's why we're commanded to do so. If you're a believer in Christ today, if, if you would call yourself a Christian, you have been called to preach the good news. Who's showed you how to do that? I mean, all through Scripture, we're commanded it. You, you think of things like Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, where we're told to go and preach and baptize. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we're, we're told by Jesus that we're his witnesses, the Apostle Paul calls us in 2 Corinthians 5 that we're ambassadors. Every one of us who is in the Lord's army, so to speak, is called to go and preach the good news to others. Who's teaching you how to do that? Well, my hope is that you're learning it here. And that others are pouring into you. That, that by sitting in the classes and, and walking with others and, and sharing, that, that ultimately we're practicing spiritual medicine together. That this should be a learning hospital where we come together to serve the community, but most importantly, each other for the cause of Christ. See, what's interesting to me is that the person we should be learning most from is Christ. And we should be sitting at his feet and we should be asking him to, to direct our steps we should be looking to Christ to say, hey, teach me how to teach others. That's exactly what Luke does in chapter 8. Maybe you've heard this story a million times, but it should be new in this, that we have something to learn about ministry from the way Jesus does ministry. We have a way to, that we need to go about our lives, and that way should reflect the way Jesus does life. In fact, we're all who are believers are called to residencies, the residency of learning from Christ. And that's why I believe Luke writes in such detail here in chapter 8 to give us an understanding of the public ministry of Jesus. He wants us to understand how Jesus went about doing what he went about doing. And it should force all of us to ask some big questions. So let's see how Jesus ministered. First is that Jesus preached. Look at verse 1. Soon afterwards, he went through the cities and the villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Notice a few words here, right there in verse 1. Proclaiming. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was declaring. Jesus was announcing. Jesus was preaching. 
That's what we see Jesus doing here amongst this group of people that are gathered. Preaching. But what is he preaching? He's preaching, according to verse 1, the good news. The gospel. And what is that gospel message? But the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? But the message of God's reign. Did you ever think about that? That when we proclaim the gospel, we're talking about the fact that God's rule is over everything. He rules this earth. He rules this church. And he rules you. God is in charge. And as we look at the message of the kingdom, as we look at the good news of the kingdom, we recognize that we fall far short. And you say, well, Aaron, well, how's that good news? The good news is God did something about it. He sent Jesus, who now is declaring the good news, saying, here I am. I'm your hope. I'm your help. I am your salvation. Jesus is saying to everyone as he's preaching and as he's declaring and as he's announcing, hey, the king has arrived. Look to me. This is the good news. Now we understand that this kingdom, this message, is an attention, attention we often refer to as an already, not yet. That the gospel is more than simply a ticket to heaven. That Jesus' rule over all the earth is now, as he has come, inaugurating his kingdom in his first coming. We believe he will ultimately consummate his kingdom in his second coming. This is why we read things in scripture like in Mark 1.15 where it says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Did you ever read that and go, what, it's here now? Yes. Yes, the kingdom is here now. Jesus is ruling now. The Savior has made victory possible. Now the kingdom is at hand. And yet Jesus would also say things like this in Luke eleven two, 2, where he would say, pray thy kingdom come. Seems that the kingdom is also yet future. The kingdom is now, and yet the kingdom seems to be also coming. The psalmist captures this in Psalm 110 when he talks about the work of Jesus as he makes all of his enemies his footstool. That's the work of the gospel. It's a message. It's a powerful message of defeat for the enemy, but life for the people of God. That's the good news of the gospel. That ultimately there is a way of salvation that is possible through Jesus. And this is what Jesus is preaching. But Jesus wasn't just an ambassador like we are. No, Jesus is the center of the message. Look at verse 10 of chapter 8. Verse 10 uses the word secret. The secrets of the kingdom. What in the world is he referring to? Well, understand that the Old Testament was kind of not fully coming forward explaining everything that would be, but giving glimmers and and shots of images of what would come. But one day Jesus did come, and all that the Old Testament pointed to was revealed in him. A beautiful picture of ultimately what's happening is Jesus is saying, I'm the secret of the kingdom. Edmund Clowney, a theologian, loves to say that the secrets center in Jesus. 
to know the secrets of the kingdom is to know Jesus. If we're to truly understand all that is to come, we must know Jesus. For Jesus is the promised one all the way back in the Old Testament. Back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. The promise that our enemy would be defeated. That's Jesus. And Jesus did that. He did that at the cross. He continues to do it as the gospel goes forth. And one day we're told every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. See, Jesus came to do a mighty work, didn't he? Jesus, who is the center of the secrets of the kingdom, Jesus came to save his people and to crush his enemy. This work began at the cross and will be completed when he returns. Hence, Paul says in Galatians 4, 4, and 5, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born into the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption As sons, notice the phrase, the fullness of time. That means when time was most pregnant, ready to give birth, at just the right moment, the son would come. The promised one. In fact, Jesus did come. And so when Jesus came, he made it very clear the kingdom is at hand. And we as the church, we've been given a powerful message of the kingdom to proclaim. We've been called to preach Jesus and his work. The Jesus of the Old Testament that all things were pointing to, that promised Messiah, the long-awaited Savior. Jesus has come. And he is reigning. And he is ruling. And he is defeating. The question is, do we believe in this message of Jesus? Do we believe in this gospel? Are we believing the things that Jesus proclaimed? The message that Jesus gave? Because all through Jesus' ministry, he was preaching himself about himself. Declaring the good news of why he's come. How easily that's lost today. How easily we get get involved in, in politics and we miss Jesus. How easily we get caught in things about money or or about inflation and we lose Jesus. How easily the church can get derailed, even trying to do good things, but miss Jesus. How dangerous it is to miss Jesus, because to miss Jesus is to miss the secret, the secret recipe, if you will, of the gospel, the hope of the gospel. Friends, one of the things we try to do around here is we try to make Jesus very big and man very small. We willingly talk about the fact that we're sinners. We have a time set in our worship service where an elder comes forward and says, let's pray about our sin. (laughs) We take sin seriously because we recognize we need help. And if that's you, welcome home. Welcome home. Because we want to make much of Jesus because Jesus made much of Jesus. That's the good news. That's the hope. That's what Jesus preached. And you know what happened? People came. People came. But one of the things that's odd about it is Jesus preached with stories. 
Jesus used illustrations all the time. Jesus would use stories like the pearl of great price or the hidden treasure when he would refer to the kingdom, how, how people would sell everything to get the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of heaven was the most important thing. Is that the way we cling to Jesus? That he's the most important thing? Our prayer of confession was today that we would repent of, of following other gods, of clinging to other things. And I know I need to repent of that because easily I lose track and I miss the center of Jesus, the importance of Jesus. But Jesus taught stories and illustrations saying, hey, I'm the pearl of great price. I'm the hidden treasure. I'm what you should sell out for. It's about me. And Jesus would use other stories such as the lost coin or the lost sheep or the lost son. He would use these stories as illustrations to point to the fact that ultimately God is in hot pursuit. God is in hot pursuit. Even when we're not looking for him, guess what? He's coming after us. That's what a good father does. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came because God loves us. He sent his one and only son to come and to live and to die for us. The church, the people of God. Jesus used all kinds of stories, all kinds of illustrations. In fact, to our residents who are working on preaching on Sunday nights, if you don't have anything better to do, which you shouldn't because Jesus is everything, right? So we all should be here Sunday night listening. And as we gather around the word, what ultimately we're doing is we're listening to preachers preach about Jesus. And we're constantly working on their preaching and encouraging them as they work through these things, encouraging them to use illustrations and stories just like Jesus because there's something about that. There's something about the way in which a preacher or a teacher communicates using everyday things. And that's what Jesus would often do. He'd use examples, and of his day, he would use farming. Much like in a blue collar area, we could talk about the assembly line. We, we could talk about engineering. We could, we could talk about uh, all the things that are important to the downriver community, and it would make sense when Jesus' day he talked about farming, and he used farming to illustrate the kingdom and the message of the kingdom and the secret of the kingdom. But friends, I want you to understand something. Jesus, as he preached the kingdom, he preached in parables. And a parable is one thing that comes alongside. It's an illustration. But a parable does one of two things. Don't miss this this morning. A parable will either aid or it will hinder. Did you hear that? An illustration, a story that Jesus used to come alongside to, uh, to ultimately accentuate the message. You will either aid or it will hinder. See, secrets, by their very nature, are not known to everyone. Secrets are both at the same time known and unknown, revealed and concealed at the same time. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 1.18 when he says, To those perishing, the cross is foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved by it, it's the power of God. For those of us who have ears to hear, to understand that Jesus came to save, it's the power of God, it's the hope, it's the joy. But to others who come and hear a message about uh, somebody dying on a cross, it seems foolish. And yet Jesus would preach in parables for a reason. 
See, parables, according to Jesus in verse 10, were given to help those who had ears to hear. He says to the disciples in verse 10, the beginning, he says, it has been given to you to know the secret of the kingdom of God. That's why he preached in parables. So that you disciples wouldn't know. What's interesting is he still has to explain it to them. <laughs> we need a teacher. We need instruction. But we're also told that the Holy Spirit is that teacher, that instructor. But that's not where it ends with the parable. Jesus goes on to say at the end of verse 10, he says, for others, parables are used to hold back the secret of the kingdom. Listen to what he says. So that seeing they will not see and hearing they will not hear. Seeing they will not see and hearing they will not hear. See, the point is, Jesus is saying, not all will understand, but God's people will. God's people will because the Holy Spirit is their teacher. John chapter 14. He's the counselor who's given to them to instruct them and to lead them in truth. And so Jesus preached. He preached the kingdom and he preached it through parables. But again, notice he grew in popularity. We, we look at our text here, and look at what it says. Soon afterwards, he went on through the cities and the villages, proclaiming the, and bringing the good news of the kingdom. Notice what it says. And the, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed by evil spirits and infirmities. And it gives, uh, infirmities, and it gives a list of names. And while you drop down to verse 4, look at what it says. And the great crowd was gathering and people from every town after town came to him. There was something unique about Jesus. That Jesus talked with authority. Jesus talked with power. Jesus preached as one who really understood. And it seemed that there was something about Jesus and the people came. One of the things it says is that the 12 were there. Well, they're always with him. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Except when Jesus would retreat to get alone, the 12 were always there. There they were. But then Luke says something astounding. He says, and there were women with him. For the modern reader, that's no big deal. You say, what's the big deal? Rabbis didn't teach to women. But Jesus did. That's radical. And what's interesting in that story is that ultimately Jesus makes it very clear that he's preaching to these women, and we're going to see why. Luke places it here. As Luke tells their testimony that some of them were healed from evil spirits, such as Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. These women had great affliction, and Jesus rescued them. And there they were in his presence. But it wasn't just them. It says and some other women as well. You need to understand, this is a big deal because in the first century, a woman couldn't even give testimony in court. In the first century, if you needed an eyewitness for an event, you didn't ask your wife. You didn't ask any women. But here, Jesus, Jesus specifically is ministering to the women. And as we see him doing this, something amazing is said. At the very end of verse 3, and many others who provided for them out of their means. The women were the ones supporting the ministry. It's astounding. 
They've been so touched by by what has happened in 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 their life by God that they're just giving back to the ministry. The 12 are with him because they're residents. They're supposed to be. Ask my residents. They follow me around all day. They're like, come on, man, give me a break. I imagine the disciples saying, we're going to rest yet? Uh, But ultimately, these women are clinging to Jesus. They're devoted to Jesus. They're giving to Jesus. They say, well, where did they get their money? They gave whatever they had. But there happens to be one who's mentioned, Joanna. She's actually married to Herod's household manager. She would have been a very prominent woman. She would have had much resources. And she's using those resources along with others to see the message of the gospel go forward. Friends, this is important. It doesn't always get airplay. It's important that we're paying attention that women played an important role in seeing the ministry of Jesus and the good news be proclaimed. Luke says, don't miss this. In our own lives, who are we neglecting? Who are we forgetting about? Who are we assuming would never have a role in the church? Who would never have a role to serve in the kingdom? Who would never have a place to speak and preach and proclaim and announce and declare the good news? Is it our children? Let me tell you, my children are probably better ambassadors than I am. The fact that they've created more ways for me to reach into the community of Trenton and Woodhaven and Brownstown is because of my children. God uses the most unseen people Jesus spent time with the downcast, the outcast, those who were not respected, and Jesus preached the good news to them. Who should we be preaching to? Who should we be declaring the message to? Because they want to come. They need to hear. They're longing for hope. And here we are. We're holding the good news, but are we sharing it? Are we giving it? These women were touched by Jesus, and ultimately, they surrounded him. And in verse 4, it says, A great crowd was gathering, people from town after town that came to him, and then Jesus taught his parable, his specific farming parable, his parable of of a sower who sowed a seed. And he talks in that discretionary way about this seed. But before we think of that message, I want to ask this question. Why are you here today? Are you here because Jesus has touched you? Jesus has healed you from some temptation or affliction, some sin, some guilt. Why are you here today? Why are you looking to Jesus? I hope you are. Is it because you're required to be? Or is it because you want to be? Or maybe you're just here like the crowds because you're curious. But why are you here? Hopefully it's to learn more about Jesus. And see, that's exactly what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to come and gather and hear about him. And Jesus preached a message to them about the word of God and the seed that goes forth. But as he begins to talk about this farmer, he talks about four different types of ground that are there. The first is a seed that fell on the road. I want you to notice that the word is the seed. The word isn't bad. It's not the seed's problem. It's not even the farmer's problem. The problem is the ground. We're the ground. And the first is a road. Now, anybody who plants knows you can't plant seed on the road. Although, in my driveway, I have cracks, and somehow that grass just keeps coming. Right? I try to kill it. It won't die. 
I try to grow grass where there's supposed to be grass. It doesn't work. But here, we see very clearly that Jesus talks about the road as being hard ground. And Jesus explains the seed is the word of God. And as the seed hits the road, these are individuals who have heard it, but their hearts are hard and they reject it. Ultimately, they're like the ones the devil comes and takes the word away, and they have no desire for any message of the cross or Jesus or salvation. They're just hard. But then Jesus gives a second example of the rocky soil. Now, this is having a soft dirt on top, but underneath is this rock where ultimately it can't grow. The seed begins to grow a little bit. It seems to show some hope. In fact, notice what he says. They receive it with joy, according to verse 13. But because it's not rooted because of the stone, they only believe for a while, and then the testing comes, and they fall away. Church, let me tell you something. You will be tested. We'll all be tested. Now, the book of James says it very clear in James 1.3. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. All of us will be tested. All of us will be tried. The question is, are we believing? Are we like the road? where we get hard hearts, or maybe we show a little bit of promise, but eventually when the testing comes, we run away. Friends, in our church, we believe in a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. All those who truly believe will persevere in their faith because faith itself is a gift from God. Listen to what John says in 1 John 2.19. They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Here's the point. Where are you on that road, on that, on, that, on that journey of the seed? Are you just a hard-hearted person that has no desire for the gospel, and you're just looking at your watch and saying, I hope Aaron hurries up and stops because I want to get there in that flatable? First of all, I'm going to push you out of the way, and I'm going to be the first one. Just know that. <laughs> but if all you're concerned about is the things of this world and not Jesus, you're a hard-hearted person. Or maybe you're a person that says, I used to have joy, I used to like church, but now it's just more of like a duty. I really don't dig it, man. You know how much easier it is just to do things without having to be around church and churchy people? (laughs) That's the picture here. The testing, the trials, the difficulties. Maybe you're one who said, hey, I thought God was important until... Something bad happened in my life, and I looked to the sky and said, God, where are you? And God never responded, so I'm just running away. Friends, let me tell you, God hasn't changed. God hasn't moved. God is alive and well, and he is working through our trials. He wastes nothing. That's the beauty of God. He uses it for our good. First thing I want you to notice is the first two illustrations Jesus gives are bad. Guess what? There's a third one that's also bad. He talks about the seed that falls among the thorns. And Jesus explains this group is choked out in verse 7. He says in verse 14 that they hear and they go along their way, but eventually they're choked out. And here's why. It's not because of trials. It's because of pleasure. Now they're choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this world. Where the other group was, was ultimately uh, going away because of difficulty, this group is going away because everything's great. I needed Jesus for a while, but I don't need him anymore because everything's awesome in life. Is that you? Hey, man, stock market's going through the roof. I'm doing fine. I got a great job now. Thanks, Jesus. See you later. 
Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Friends, listen up. Both young and old, listen up. All that shines is not golden because he can rob you of the joy of Jesus. He does not become the pearl of great price. You ultimately find joy in other gods rather than the living and true God. And that means that ultimately you're being choked out by thorns. There's finally a fourth. The seed finally falls is an illustration Jesus gives upon the good soil. He says in that one it grew and it yielded a hundredfold. Jesus said, the seed on the good soil is those who hearing the word hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Notice that. They're honest. That means they truly recognize I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. I can't save myself. They have a good heart, meaning that ultimately their heart has been made soft by the Holy Spirit. They have been transformed and now they're beginning to bear fruit and they're bearing fruit with patience, trusting God through the difficulties, through the joys. They're trusting God. They're walking through. The question before us is, which soil are you? You can say it in a little harsher way. Which dirt are you? <laughs> We're all dirt. We came from dirt. So which dirt are we? Are we the thorny dirt, Right? Are we the rocky dirt? Are we the road? We're just a total hard surface? Or are we the good soil that's growing? Let me tell you, the good soil is the one that produces fruit because they're preaching the gospel. They're proclaiming the good news. They're following Jesus' example. They're being mentored by Jesus. And they're saying, he preached the good news of the kingdom. I preached the good news of the kingdom. He reached people. I'm going to seek to reach people. Even the people that nobody else wants to reach, I'm going to seek to reach with the good news. Friends, the point is this. We, the church, have been called to preach. And we've been called to announce, to declare the good news of Jesus, just like Jesus. For some of us, our preaching will be effectual, and we're going to, we're going to run and go, awesome, this is so easy. For some of us, we're going to see our preaching fall on hardness, difficulty, even those individuals where we see a little bit of growth, we're going to be discouraged when they run away. Let me say this personally as a pastor, there's nothing more heartbreaking than pouring your life into people and then seeing them just get up and walk away. There's nothing more hard. My pillow is sopped with tears of watching people just walk away. There's nothing harder than that. But friends, I do have hope. Well, if you took the math, one in four, it seems, is the, is the appro- appropriate uh, uh, amount. One quarter of the people seem to, to get it if you follow the math here in Luke 8. I'm not saying that's the right math. I'm just saying that's Aaron's math. One quarter of the people. But as I sat down and was reflecting on that, as discouraging as that may sound, one of the things that's most amazing is that looking over time from all humanity, one quarter of people is a lot of people. A lot of people who maybe other people ignored. A lot of people that people didn't care about. People that were hopeless, suicidal, fearful, wounded. People that need to hear the gospel. One of the things I take great delight in is the promise that was made to Abraham. That the children of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, the the spiritual descendants of Abraham, according to Galatians 3 and Romans 4... 
those people would be more than the number of stars in the sky, more than the sea, sands of the seashore. That's the promise. So we're not working in vain. We're following the example of Jesus. We're being faithful in preaching the good news. Let me tell you, the church is operational again. Praise God for that. Trust me, I'm praying every day for God to protect this place. I recognize COVID isn't a silly thing, but I also know the church must be faithful to what it's been called to do, and that is to preach the gospel. And as we go forward in doing that, we're trying to be safe, but we want to seize every opportunity to present the truth of Jesus to everyone. Because right now, people are lonely. They're hurting. They're depressed. People that you know in your neighborhood, family members that, that would surprise you, COVID has been a difficult time. Church, let's arise. Let's awaken. Let's preach. Let's proclaim. Let's go forward. Let's seize every opportunity to point others to Jesus. Let's not be lazy. Let's not just be holding back and waiting for Jesus to come. Let's be busy at work for the kingdom. That's what we've been called to do. And that's what Jesus has modeled for us. May we go and be like Jesus because Jesus has made us like him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to follow the example of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. God, it may be a discouraging thing to think that many of the people we share with will be hard-hearted or may show promise and then eventually fall away. And we may cry a lot of tears as we lose those individuals, but God, we know that those who are yours will hear your message and they will be changed because they will be given ears to hear and hearts to receive. And God, that's what we pray for ourselves. We pray, Lord, that we would hear this message and we would be not hearers only, but doers of the word. God, may we learn from the feet of Jesus. May we proclaim the good news of the kingdom of his reign. And Lord, may we pray that for the individuals that will hear those messages. And Lord, may we seek every opportunity to use every means, illustration, every story to point people back to Jesus. God, may we look over all humanity and see every person, every child, every man, every woman. God, may we see them as people that need hope the true hope that only Christ can provide. May we be busy doing your work, building your kingdom, glorifying your name. We pray this in Christ's name and God's people said, amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.